Our reading comes today from the Gospel of John, chapter 7, starting at verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said, the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Family, it's always good to see you. I love you. Um, Really appreciate you prioritizing our family gatherings every week. Uh, where we rehearse the gospel and worship Jesus together. And if you're here as an invited guest or you just happen to, you're, you know, got the tattoo scheduled, but they're not quite open yet, they do, they do open right around uh, the time we finish up. Our next, next time we put together our visitor packs, we're actually going to start putting vouchers in there for <laughs> some kind of discount upstairs. Um, but all joking aside, for whatever reason you found you're here, whether you're already a Christian or not yet, uh, a follower of Jesus. We, we just want you to know that we care deeply for you. Uh, we love you as a person. And we're okay if you spend two years with us exploring, asking questions, uh, figuring things out. We're, we're not in any rush, and we don't want you to be. We, we really want to become your family, and we want to walk that journey here. But I, I just want you to know you're, um, you're in a safe place, and we're, we're glad that you're here. And for all of you, you know, like out, outside those doors, we are constantly trying to prove ourselves to other people, Right? earn something, next rank, next billet, reputation, whatever. And you know, when we gather as a family, what we're celebrating is we have nothing to prove with each other, and we have nothing to earn. Jesus has proven everything in our place, and he's already earned everything that we need uh, on our behalf. So it's for us to take a deep breath, like rest. It really doesn't matter what the person next to you thinks about you. It, It really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I think about you. All right, so let's just rest. Let's pray, and then we will get right down to work uh, in John. Father, we have lived another week in broken kingdoms. Uh, the news is enough to remind us there is, there is brokenness um, all around, um, and it can be overwhelming. And so we want to pray the way, Jesus, that you taught us to pray. And Father, um, in heaven, hallowed be your name. We want your kingdom to come. Uh, here in Okinawa and around the globe, we want your will to be done, first in our own hearts and in this place and here in Okinawa. We ask that you would give us today the bread that our souls need for today. Help us not to worry about tomorrow. Father, you know that we have hearts that wander and run towards temptation, and so we pray that you would lead us away from temptation and deliver us from evil. Lead us to forgive those who trespass against us because we have been forgiven so freely through the riches of Christ. And so as we forgive others, may we experience again the forgiveness that is ours in Jesus. Father, may all these things be true because uh, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory 
both now and forever. Help us to rest in that today, and we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. 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 Grant, can you kick the, yeah, the, the timer for me, please, so I love everybody well today? Thanks, there it is. <clears throat> so let me start with a question today, and um, here, here's a question, uh, or invitation, really. I want you to remember a time in your life where you were the most thirsty that you've ever been, just overwhelmingly thirsty. We still have a four-year-old in our family, and uh, so we, again this week, had an encounter with the demon of dehydration. If you have a four-year-old, you know what I'm talking about. Like, we're just driving around, and all of a sudden, like, I don't know if I have to pull over for an Aquarius or an exorcism. Like, it could go either way, but you know what I'm talking about. Like, the world's going to end if I don't have a drink now. Like, that kind of thirsty. Um, For me, I think of two moments in my life, uh, both in younger years, uh, the first one was just as a young Marine, I went out to uh, Yuma, the air station in Yuma, and I'm old enough now that uh, this little trip was pre-Camelback, like that's how old I am, like starching the camis, putting a little polish in the boots, back when the Marine Corps was still the, the Marine Corps is all I'm saying, and uh, anyway, in my cocky, confident self. I'm like, you know what? I think I'm going to run. I think I'll run the perimeter today, like outside the fence line, midsummer, middle of the day, cycling my creatine like every 18-year-old Marine was doing, and didn't bring any water source, and almost killed myself. I made it back, but barely. Uh, I don't know that I've ever been more thirsty uh, than on that miscalculated adventure. One other time, though, as a young, when I was still in high school, still in upstate New York before I enlisted, I worked on a family farm. It wasn't my family's farm. Uh, This family was in our our church. Their last name was Eves, and they had kind of your average upstate New York farm. And during hay season, one of my responsibilities was to work up in the hay loft, or hay mow is what we would call it. And um, so they would be out baling the hay in the fields. And they would pull the wagons up into the drive, and there was a conveyor belt. And the bales of hay would go on that belt one at a time and run up into the hayloft or the mow and then drop down 30 feet onto the floor. And there were one or two of us in there. It was our job to stack all of those bales. So it wasn't just falling. Like, you could double the capacity if you'd stack it in an orderly way. So that's what we did all day long. And you're in that space it is sweltering hot. I mean, all the heat's rising. Did you know, like, if, you don't, if you're not from a farming background, did you know that, like, shortly after hay season, it's not uncommon for barns at nighttime just to combust, to go up in flames? Because all the heat rises, there's still some moisture inside the bales. It's, it's like, it's Instapot before there was Instapot, and it just, it, it combusts. So it's hot up there. Heat's rising, no airflow. Uh, the bales are coming in, and so the, the sunlight's streaming through that door just enough so that it's illuminating all of the dust and the chaff, and you can't tell if it's going up or coming down or going sideways. Like, the air is just thick with this. You're breathing it in. You're sweaty, and you're in short sleeves. Well, you shouldn't be in short sleeves, but you are, and so it's all sticking to your body, and this is where the, like, those of you who have allergies are cringing right now, but you've, it's sharp, so you've got these, like, cat scratch marks on your arms, and it's just itchy, hot, thirsty, overwhelmed with thirst, with no end in sight. So for me, that's my, that's my most thirsty moment. Do you have yours locked away? Do you have one similar? You're going to need it later, okay? Just tuck it away. 
So we're pressing through John. This is actually our last sermon in John before we transition next week to our Advent series. Can you believe it already? Um, So John chapter 7 this morning, as you know, you've been around. Our series theme is simple and continues to be Jesus is life. life. All right, Jesus is my life. Jesus is life. This morning, what we're going to see in the text, and full disclosure, uh, we just had it read for us, a portion of it. Uh, We don't have time to unpack everything that's in John 7, uh, verse by verse, okay? Uh, so we're gonna, I'm going to give you an overview, give you the context, give you the dominant theme, and we'll make application. But I do really encourage you to read John chapter 7 on your own uh, later after our gathering today. So yeah, John 7, Jesus' life. Here's the way in which we'll see Jesus' life today. Jesus' words, works, and ways will alone satisfy my thirsty soul, okay? Jesus' words works and ways will alone satisfy my thirsty soul. Let me show you where that comes from, just so you know we're not making it up. John 7, verses 37 to 39 goes like this. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. John 7, we get a clue right there in verse 37 as to where our story is happening today. It talks about the last day of the feast. So let me introduce you to the, known as the Feast of Booths, B-O-O-T-H-S, Booths, Feast of Booths. Uh, here's the, the, the Feast of Booze right here. Hey. hey. No, I had to do it. So if you're visiting today or you're not part of our family, so that's my brother John and my younger sister Satomi. They married here not too long ago, and like everybody has to do, they just PCS, but that's my little niece in between them, and they're out in California. And you better believe when they get orders back here, if that ever happens, or they visit, we will have the Feast of Booths, like we will make it happen. All right, so that aside, Uh, Feast of Booths. Uh, In verse 1, chapter 7, verse 1, it says, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea. So he was okay up north, couldn't press down south because the Jews were seeking to kill him. You can kind of relate, not really, but kind of, because for the last two years, we'd have maps with red zones, right? All green now, yeah? All green? Uh, Jesus and his boys rarely had a map that was all green. Like there was somebody on the crew responsible for maintaining the map, some kind of dry erase thing going on where they would have to, they had red zones. Like they're legit were places that Jesus and his followers could not go uh, during most of his time leading up to the cross because his teaching was that controversial. His claim of authority was that controversial. It was all stirred up and there were threats on his life uh, to arrest him, but also to kill him. So there's this feast of booze, okay? It's going on in Jerusalem. It happened once a year. And actually, this is perfect timing, guys, because it would be happening right now. It is happening right now. It was basically their Thanksgiving week. That's what it was, right? So we're about to press into Thanksgiving week. They pressed into Thanksgiving week. It happened in Jerusalem uh, near the temple. And so if you lived in Jerusalem, you know what you did? And guys, this is every kid's dream. You built a tent on the rooftop of your house, flat roofs, and you slept up there all week long. 
Like you, it was a week-long party. If you didn't live in Jerusalem, you came to town, and whatever their reservation system was, pre-Airbnb, however they organized that mess, you, you built your family tent somewhere on the streets, wherever, so you could be part of the festivities. As we can relate, right? You have built that tent with the cushions, the blankets, all the sheets off the bed, all the things. That's what, and you know, it was fun. Over the last couple of weeks, my boys have been asking me if they could camp out with me on the roof of our home, which does happen to be flat. Um, and I've been making the case, and I've needed a proof text to go with my argument. So now I, it's biblical. Now I have it. So they would go. You know why they would build tents? They built tents because they were commemorating, right? It's Thanksgiving festival, basically. And so they're looking back. What's their history? They'd been rescued out of slavery. God brought them through the wilderness for years and years and years, and then brought them into the promised land. Well, where'd they live all that time? Temporary shelters. So hence the temporary shelters in the Feast of Booths, right? So it's a celebration looking back. But like I said, it was also about the harvest. So they're throwing a party because the harvest is in. God has shown himself to be faithful. And what are, what are they celebrating? Um, they're celebrating God's faithfulness over time, bringing them from captivity to the promised land. They're celebrating the harvest, but they're also celebrating a God who has always been faithful to satisfy their thirst. Always. Because guys, at this time of year, their water sources were pretty much depleted. They'd made it through the growing season. They'd made it through the harvest. So now their family wells or their cisterns were near dry, right? It was near dry. And so what they would do is they would look back and they'd be like, guys, remember when our grandparents came through the wilderness, like straight up desert, no water source. What did God always prove himself to be faithful to? Our grandparents were a thirsty people and God always proved himself to be a thirst quenching God. Always. He did it then. He just did it again in this harvest season. And so what we're going to do is we're going to throw a party in anticipation of not only celebrating his faithfulness, but looking forward as we come out of kind of this dry season and into what should be a rainy season, that God will cause the heavens to rain down and satisfy the thirsty ground so that next year's crops can grow and satisfy our thirsty bellies and throats, but also to satisfy our souls. And you know what's beautiful about this, guys? Because of the celebration, listen, this is what makes Christianity different than the culture around us. They were in a season that was borderline drought-ish, right? Water sources were low. And what did they do? They threw a party and they celebrated. Why? They had nothing to fear, even in the drought, because they knew that their father would be faithful again. Guys, that's a word for us today. Lots of you are in drought seasons. It's, we don't dismiss that. We acknowledge the brokenness in which we live. We go through drought, uh, desert seasons, arid ground where your heart grows dry. But our God is always faithful to give us exactly what we need to satisfy the thirst in our souls. So this is Feast of Booths, week-long party. And then on the eighth day, nothing really happened. It was like the final celebration, safety brief, don't get in trouble, see you next year, All right, come back, okay? So that's Feast of Booths. That's, that's all of chapter seven, Feast of Booths. That's where we're at, okay? So you know the, you know the context. I'm thirsty. <laughs> you know the context. Now, I want to point your, direction, point your attention to what is the dominant theme in John chapter 7. Okay, we already know where we are. The dominant theme is simply belief. Uh, John brings this up over and over and over again. The theme is belief. And he points to three groups of people in John 7 who are centered around, or are, are around Jesus. 
and they are Jesus' own flesh and blood brothers. So we have the brothers. Uh, We also have the bystanders. They get most of the attention in John chapter 7. And then, uh, don't hold this against me, I just needed another B word and I'll explain it. Then we have the Baptists, okay? So we we have the brothers, the bystanders, and the Baptists. So their denominations don't exist yet. There are no Baptists in that John the Baptist was not the first Baptist. Okay, so, and I'm not picking on Baptists. It's just that's how I grew up. So um, what I'm referring to are those religious leaders that John points out over and over and over again who were opposed to Jesus and were uh, so angry at his claims, and um, they were his primary opposition. So, in fact, when you see John... You see it a lot. John's like, the Jews hated Jesus, or the Jewish people wanted... He's, it sounds like an ethnic slur. He's not slurring anybody. It was John's categoric word to point to the religious leaders, or who I'm calling the Baptists, just my own upbringing, okay, in the text, who could not see Jesus for who he was, and did not want to see Jesus for who he was, and hated everything he said and did, and wanted to keep the people away from him, and wanted to destroy him. Okay, so we have the brothers, we have the bystanders, and we have the Baptists. So let me just show you, as this theme of belief unfolds, here we go, John chapter 7, let's look at the brothers first. In case you didn't know this, look at verse 5. Here's what it says about the brothers. Not even his flesh and blood brothers believed him. Guys, you can feel that one, right? We're all old enough. Most of us have siblings, and none of our families are perfect. There's drama somewhere, right? That hurts. That one, that, that burns deep. And that, guys, that was Jesus' family. So Jesus is about 30 now, maybe 31, 32. And in his own family, at this point, it would change later. But as of right now, none of his siblings, they thought he was crazy. Like, they really did. They thought he was crazy. So there are his brothers. What about the bystanders? Uh, They're divided, but if they lean any direction, it's leaning towards unbelief. Uh, Verse 12, for example, says, there was much muttering, interesting word, much muttering about him among the people. While some said, hey, he's a good man, others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Guys, what's changed in 2,000 years? Almost everybody in this world will either affirm that Jesus historically existed, and yes, he was a good man with good teachings, or in the camp of there was no person named Jesus, he never existed, or um, yeah, there's a historical uh, Jesus and his teachings are absolutely dangerous and he's leading. You believe that? You're a fool. What's wrong with you? You're so simple-minded and naive. How can you believe this, right? It's all a conspiracy, So nothing's really changed. And then verse 26, another example, uh, starting in 25. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, hey, isn't this the man that uh, the religious leaders are seeking to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they're they're not taking advantage of this opportunity. They're not saying anything to him. So can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? Guys, in every crowd, there are the conspiracy theorists. Don't hang with the conspiracy theorists. They actually turn out to be wrong, right? What was their conspiracy? The religious leaders know that Jesus really is the Christ, and therefore, they don't want us to hear. No, they didn't believe that. They didn't believe that at all. They did not believe it for a second, okay? Conspiracy theorists were wrong. Uh, Verse 41 Others said, others in the crowd said, hey, this, this is the Christ. Remember that word, Christ. But some said, no, wait a second, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David, right? Kingly line. And isn't he going to come from Bethlehem, king, kingly town, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people 
over him. And some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. So we have the brothers totally disbelieving. We have the bystanders, some believing, most disbelieving, but divided. What about the religious leaders, right? Um, Verses 47 to 49, John summarizes how they responded. The Pharisees answered them. So they were answering people who were starting to to kind of go soft on Jesus. And they're like, "Have have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? What they were asking was, look, they were actually challenging some of their own people who were starting to believe Jesus. And they're like, wait a second, is any other educated person believing in Jesus? Guys, this is the same question you get today. Is anybody with an education believing this? Are you serious? That's the same question. And, and they said, look, um, verse 49, this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. They're saying the people in the crowd who are being sucked up into Jesus' movement they're cursed because they haven't been educated. And if they just knew better, they would dismiss Jesus out of hand. You you need to learn more, read more, go to school more, right? Nothing nothing changes, guys. So there are our religious leaders, very hostile towards him. Very, very hostile. Now, uh, let's be specific, though. We're talking about this word believe. What is it that they are either believing or disbelieving, right? It's not just that Jesus existed. They all believe Jesus existed. It's not just, is it belief over whether or not Jesus does nice things for people? No, they all believe that. They'd seen or heard about the nice things that Jesus did. What's, it, what's the issue right here, guys? It's whether or not Jesus was the Christ. That's, that's the issue in John chapter 7. So let's unpack that for a moment because most of us have grown up in context where we thought Jesus, or we thought Christ was Jesus' last name, okay? Or middle name, but then what do you do? Because there's only two. Like, what's, which one is it? So I guess he didn't have a middle name. Jesus was his given name, but Christ is not a name, okay? It's a title. It's a title. What does it mean? Well, um, in the Greek, it would have been Christos, okay? And over here in the Hebrew, it would have been Messiah. What the word Messiah means, so these are the same. Messiah, Christos, we understand it as Christ. What Messiah meant was the anointed one, okay? So that's, that's, that's our clue for understanding this word, anointed one. Well, who in the Old Testament gets anointed? Prophets, priests, and who? Kings, yes, and sick people get anointed, for sure. As a demonstration of that priestly function, so that, that's a fantastic answer, so that a sick person could be healed. We see that in James, too. Fantastic. But the three primary categories that we see in the Old Testament, prophet, priest, and king, the anointed ones. So what's at stake here, the, the, the matter of belief, guys, is um, did they believe what was being said about Jesus and what he said about himself and the works that authenticated this, that he, in fact, was, that his, his words had authority, his works were necessary and had authority, and that his way had authority over us. And what I mean is, what does a prophet do? What does a prophet do? Speaks, right? Speaks words. Uh, What does a priest do? A priest works, like he works for the good, he's a mediator between God and people. So a priest works to um, restore people to their creator, to their God, and a priest works to reconcile. A priest works to, uh, to restore where there's woundings. That's what priests do. So a work. And then what does a king do? He leads a certain kind of way, a certain kind of culture with a certain kind of authority. So that's what's at stake right here. 
Jesus' teachings and those who had spoken about Jesus and the works demonstrated that Jesus himself was the promised rescuing king, the one whose words would have ultimate authority over us and the one whose work was absolutely necessary for our souls and the one whose kingly way or kingly rule was authoritative over every created being of all time. The crowds were divided, but most disbelieved. And guys, nothing's changed. Even in this room, probably overwhelmingly, if we took a little poll right now, did Jesus exist? Yes, we would probably all believe that, most of us. Was Jesus a good person? Yes, we all generally believe that. Now, let's press into the specifics. Jesus as the true and better, the only prophet who has authority over life. What does that require me to do? It requires me to uh, let go of the very thing I believe, that my word has authority over my life, right? And right on down the line, which is what we see Jesus do next. Um, we see him drop a little bit of a truth bomb, and now we are halfway through the feast, okay? And he's going to stand up, and he's going to teach right in the middle of the temple, which is crazy because remember, where is he? Red zone, right? He, people want to kill him here, and he's going to stand up in the most public place and say some, uh, some very controversial things. And so he stands up, and it's actually kind of, it's an interesting dialogue. We won't visit it all, but he stands up to teach, and he's, he's speaking so well and so clearly, and what he has to say feels so authoritative. They're like, wait, who, who is this? Like, I thought this was, Jesus. I thought his daddy was a carpenter. I thought he was a carpenter. Like, he didn't leave, leave to go to school. Maybe Liberty Online, maybe, like online degree, like who knows. But he's speaking as one who's been educated or has authority. What's, what's going on? And here's what he says. Look at this in verse 19. This is where Jesus calls the people out. He says, has not Moses given you the law? And they all would have said, yeah, like, through Moses, God gave us the law. And then what does he say? One simple statement. Yet none of you keeps the law. Who's there? Jesus' brothers, all the religious bystanders, and all the Baptists, all the people who have been religious from cradle to grave. And he looks them in the eye and he says, you don't keep the law. You don't keep the law. Verse 19, uh, why do you seek to kill me? Insinuating like this is part of the reason you want to kill me because I'm, I'm saying stuff like this. And look, verse 20, they answer him, look, you have a demon, right? They, we talked about canceling Jesus last week. You, you can't cancel Jesus, but here's another attempt. They discredit him to say, well, you're saying those things because you have a demon. Um, you're not educated. You don't know what you're talking about. And if you look back at verse nine, nope, don't look at nine, six. Seven, the world, Jesus said to his brothers, he's like, look, the world doesn't hate you, but it hates me. Why? Because I testify about it that its works are evil. Okay, so let's pause right there. Two statements that Jesus just made. He said, Moses gave the law, true, but you don't keep the law. What? Jesus, we're here at the Feast of Booths because we're law-keeping people. What are you talking about? I go to church every Sunday. And then rewinding back a little bit in the chapter where it says, uh, People hate Jesus because he tells us the truth about ourselves. He points out the evil. What's the evil? Uh, not keeping God's law. All right, so how does this relate to prophets, priests, and kings and being thirsty? Well, God gave his law as an authoritative word. It was the original prophetic voice that would give his people life and lead his people towards life. So what do we do? What did God's people do? They rejected that word and said, I'm going to live according to my own narrative. Okay? 
And so they rejected it. And what about the works? Jesus, or the Father, uh, gives the law of Moses and uh, the priests to, uh, to do the mediating work for people, to keep their hearts close to God, to lead reconciliation, restoration. The people threw that off, and they're like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good. And the same thing with the kingly rule. God's kingly rule wasn't enough, so we want our own kings. And then all of those kings were broken. Guys, we're not looking at somebody else's story. We are looking at the story of our own lives. How are we any different? The Father gives a clear, life-giving, thirst-quenching word. But in my heart, if your heart's anything like mine, in my heart, I have a little four- to five-year-old fist hand that balls up like a fist whenever it doesn't get its way or whenever it thinks it needs to assert itself. And you know what my, my little hand grabs onto first? That narrative. I, I, I can live by my own narrative. My thoughts are true, my own truth. Um, I, I can define who I am and how I live and why I live and what I live for. You can't challenge my narrative. That's mine. It's mine. I am my own prophet. What about the priestly thing? I don't need a priest. Watch this work. Watch what I do. I don't need a priest. I don't need, I don't need your priestly work. And kingdom, that's what my hand holds on to the tightest. Give me a piece. Of, give me the whole crown. I don't share my crown. I am the master of my own life. You don't know me like that. I don't have to submit this way. Like my narrative, my way. Guys, we all have that little hand inside of our heart that grabs those three pieces. And Jesus calls that evil. And it's why Jesus, though he's good and kind and merciful, is hated because he calls us to account on those three things. And so he drops this bomb in the temple, and that leads actually to kind of accelerate the fact that the religious leaders want it. There's a bounty on his head now. They want to arrest him, but the text is very clear. Jesus could not be arrested. Why? It just was not his time yet. The Father wouldn't allow it yet. It would be his time soon. Guys, the people were thirsty because they had rejected the true and better prophet, priest, and king. And I'm just telling you right now, what the, the, the clear word the gospel is speaking to you is this. There is thirst in your soul because you have tried to be your own prophet, your own priest, or your own king. And you can't satisfy the thirst. And what that thirst will do is it will lead you to find a different water source outside of Jesus. And with each successive substitute water source that you go to, instead of going to Jesus, what it has to offer will grow a little more tepid and a little more warm and a little more subversive until you're just drinking straight up poison but still don't even know it. That's why you have thirst in your soul. All right, so Jesus drops this truth bomb. Um, it's controversial. It's very controversial. And now let's, let's kind of swoop back into the feast now. We, we, let's focus back in on the Feast of Booths. Uh, what we notice on verse 37 is, um, so Jesus' little talk happened halfway through. Verse 37 says, on the last day of the feast. So I remember I told you there were seven days. And then on the eighth day, it was like the after party. Safety brief, everybody have a nice trip. It's where all the hugs happen. We sign everybody's thing. Like, anybody, you campers out there, like, see you at camp next year. 
I hate camp, so that's not really my, but that's, that's the moment in camp where you all leave. I'll see you next year. Every day through the Feast of Booths, every day for seven days in the morning, everybody who was part of the party would go to the Pool of Shalom. And the priests would fill these containers full of water at the pool. They would have a parade. It was, remember, this is celebratory. This isn't sad. This is festive. And so all the people, all the fire trucks on Kadena, all the candy for the kids. Like it's that kind of atmosphere. They are playing music. They take the water back to the temple and they have a church service. They have a worship gathering every day for seven straight days. Do you know what they would do at those services? They would take that good water. You know what they do? And they would pour it out. Are you serious right now? We're almost into a drought. We're here praying because we need rain and we pour the water out? Guys, that's how radically counterculturally different followers of Jesus can live. No fear, no want, no need. My dad has been faithful before, he's been faithful now, and he will be faithful tomorrow. Watch me pour this water out. He will pour it out in my soul, he will provide. And so they would pour the water out, right? Now, on this last day of the feast, I, I really believe it's the seventh day. It may have been the eighth day that Jesus waited for. I, just, I think it was the seventh day. I think it was when the last drop of water hit the ground. And a people who had their, their thirst quenched, but were getting thirsty again, so by faith were turning to their father to say, all right, another year lived by faith. Here we go. The last drop of water hits the ground, and Jesus stands up and looks everybody in the eye and says, you're thirsty, aren't you? If anyone thirsts, let him or her come to me and let them drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow what? Not drops, not a trickle, rivers of living water, a flood of more water than you need to satisfy your, your soul. Guys, that's the other reason we wander. Hold on. That's the other reason we rebel from God. That's the other reason we go after things that we know after we've pursued them will just beat us down with guilt and shame, but we'll get a little taste of water to satisfy my thirst. You know why we go? We go because we're not already satisfied with God. One of the safest things you can do for yourself as one of God's kids is to drink, drink, drink from the stream of living water that Jesus gives you because if your soul is satisfied, your desire to go somewhere else and participate in whatever that thing is that will just beat you down with guilt and shame later, that desire will go away increasingly over time. Drink and be satisfied. That was a sidebar. All right, back over here. Uh, streams of living water are going to flow. So Jesus looks people in the eye and he gives them this invitation. Come and drink. Come and drink. But they hadn't been drinking. And guys, here's our problem. Here's our problem. Many of us, especially if we've grown up in a religious setting, we've, we've prayed a prayer once upon a time. We wrote something down. We made a profession. We went forward. You were at camp, and you, you did your thing. You threw that little stick in the fire or whatever thing it is you do at camp. Like, you had that moment with God. You believed. You took a little drink but you haven't been drinking at all since then. So did you actually believe? Because here Jesus is equating belief with drinking. Not once, but daily, 
soul-satisfying, thirst-quenching drinking. So when we're not drinking, the root issue is we're not believing. We're not believing Jesus. Now, let me, I want to show you something. Here's a quote, and I'm sorry, this is a lot of words. It breaks all the rules of public speaking. But, all right, but that's his last name, and a guy like that can break any rule he wants to. Uh, somebody more educated than I am, how do you pronounce that? Look at all you guys, look at you. Our pastor didn't even go to college. All right, here, dude, this is crazy. Now, he's talking about love, but it applies to belief. Let me show this to you, look at this. He goes, I love humanity. But I wonder at myself, the more I love people in general, the less I love people in particular. In my dreams, he said, I have often come to making enthusiastic schemes for the service of humanity. And, you know, perhaps I might actually have faced crucifixion if it had been suddenly necessary. Like, I would die for people. I love people. I love people. I love people. And yet, I am incapable of living in the same room with anyone for two days together. This needs to be your marriage mantra right here, baby. If you're not married yet, I'm just breaking it to you. Like, this is how it rolls. This is how the fairy tale goes, baby. He goes, as soon as anyone is near me, anyone, his personality disturbs my self-complacency and restricts my freedom. In 24 hours, I begin to hate the best of men. One, because he's too long over his dinner. We call that, a sta we call that stayers. Another because he has COVID and he keeps on blowing his nose. I become hostile to people the moment they come close to me. But it has always happened that the more I detest men individually, the more ardent becomes my love for humanity. All right, so good time's over. We laugh because we all, it's true, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. Guys, we could take love out of his paragraph and we could insert belief. Almost every one of us in here has said, I believe Jesus. Almost every one of us in here has said, yeah, I, be I believe Jesus is my stream of living water. I believe. You know what the problem is? That's like saying, I love people. But refusing to live up close in an uncomfortable way with a person for more than 48 hours. Why? What happens? That love gets uncomfortable, it invades my personal space, and it exposes everything. Guys, that's our problem with belief. It's particular. And it's uncomfortable. And we don't like to believe that when I'm hurt, when I'm alone, when I am fill in the blank, I go to Jesus. A believing heart runs to Jesus and just says, I am thirsty and I'm dying here. And if you won't give me a drink, there's nowhere else I'll be satisfied. A disbelieving heart runs and finds a different water source. And guys, we're family here and we tell the truth. We do a lot of running, don't we? We do a lot of running. So like, John, it's kind of confusing. We're talking about thirsty souls. We don't talk that way. What are we talking about? How do I identify the thirst of my soul? Well, I would just ask you, like, where over this past week have you been angry, anxious, hostile, frustrated, fearful, lonely, depressive, depressed? Although, look, hold on. Biological peace to life, okay? So recognizing realities of living in a broken world with broken bodies and broken muscles and our mind is a muscle. So there's a lot going on there physiologically. So we're not trying to oversimplify anything, okay? We're not doing that. But what we are saying is at the root of our soul, at the root of our souls, wherever one of these feelings is expressed, even gladness, happiness, sorrow, sadness, all of those, those are all uh, blinking lights on my dashboard that says there's thirst down there and it's going to get worse if you don't go to Jesus and drink 
up, it's going to get worse. We're all thirsty, guys. Now, here's what's beautiful about the gospel. I love this. And I, got, I, got to, I think I have to close with this. I want to say one more thing. I'll think of it. But we have a storyteller today, so I've got to wrap a little earlier. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Back to the hayloft. Guys, listen. Hayloft. You think I'm thirsty because I'm working in the hayloft, stacking hay bales and breathing air that's got all that dust going, going through my lungs, right? It's not why I'm thirsty. It's not why I'm thirsty. You know why I'm thirsty? I'm thirsty because Mrs. Eves, the mama of the farm, every day, all, all day long would make us ice cold pink lemonade and all the things, glass pitchers, thermoses, strategically located all through the barn to include the hayloft. You know why I'm thirsty? Not because I'm in the hayloft, but because I'm not drinking. Guys, how do we talk to ourselves? Oh, I'm thirsty because I'm in a desert right now. It's just a dry season. There's no drink around. Really? You want to know what I read this morning? This was totally incidental from my own human perspective. Um, so this little book takes me through the Psalms, uh, all of them in a month, if I read in the morning and at nighttime. Now, I've already confessed I have a runner's heart who does not embrace Jesus fully as I should as my prophet, priest, and king. So anybody want to wager, do you think I read morning and night all month long? No, because uh, I am a terrible priest and a terrible prophet of my own soul, right? I need Jesus. All right, but here we go. This is what I read. I went for my run. I brewed my Pittman espresso. I sit down outside on my artificial turf because I love artificial turf and it's football season. And I read my book and I'm in Psalm 105 and I come to this verse, verse 40. It's right here. He opened the rock of stone and the waters flowed out so that rivers ran in the dry places. That's what the Feast of Booths was all about, celebrating that God was always there and made the water come out of the rock so that even in the desert place, water would flow like a river. You don't have to get out of the desert. You don't need different. You don't need better. You'll be okay. Jesus is present with you. You are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but what? You don't fear any evil because his rod and his staff are with you. He protects you from your enemies. He comforts you. And what does he do? He sets a table with food and drink for your soul. A river of living water flows through your desert. You're not thirsty because you're in the desert. You're thirsty because you're not drinking. That's it. All right, now, gospel good news, okay? Because that's like, man, John, I suck. I got it. I felt that way all week long. I'm a bad Christian. All you do is I come here and you yell at me because I don't drink. Like, I get it. Guys, that's not it. Let me show you the good news of the gospel. The, the, the reality of the gospel is let's just all confess we don't drink well, okay? Right? All right, so we're not beating each other up over that. Now, check this out. I love this, and we'll end on this note. Verse 10, who's at the feast? After his brothers had gone up to the feast. So this is Jesus' disbelieving brothers. Think about this, guys. Now Jesus stands up. Who's in the crowd? Jesus' brothers. The last drop of water hits the ground. He looks his disbelieving brothers in the eyes. And he, sa he, he says to them, I believe he did this. Talk, you're thirsty. You don't believe me yet. But even in your unbelief, I love you. And I'm not going, I am not here to condemn you or to grind you into the ground. I am here to offer you mercy. And if you will come to me right now in belief, I will give you water for your soul. But none of them came right now, did they? None of them would come till years later. So, okay, Jesus holds a grudge. His own flesh and blood wouldn't believe hell. Nah, 
They came years later. The offer still held true. Here's a drink of water. Your soul is going to be satisfied. That's really good news for us because this room is filled with bystanders and Baptists, but mostly brothers, meaning you grew up so close to the gospel, you took a drink once and your ears grew um, hard of hearing, your heart grew cold, and you really haven't taken a drink since. And you are that brother, and the word you need to hear this morning from Jesus is, you're thirsty, aren't you? I still have that drink for you. Your soul does not have to be thirsty when you walk back out those doors. Kento's going to come now as one of our pastors and lead us in a, just a brief moment of confession, celebration, but really, guys, of drinking in together of the living water that Jesus has to offer. Thanks, Kento.